Um, if you guys can open up your Bibles to the book of Romans, that's where we'll be. That's where we've been. Hopefully you guys have been in the journey with us. We've been having a good time. Romans chapter 3. Today we're going to be going uh, through verses 21 through 31. I think it's an important passage uh, in the Bible, so I'm excited for it. Uh, but before we jump in, um, has anybody noticed that the North Shore has been getting a little busier lately? Right, like things have been like, it's like it's almost back to normal. I almost forgot how many people visit the North Shore. Um, it's been pretty ridiculous. Um, I, don't, I don't mind it. I'm not here to complain. Um, God loves everyone. And, uh, and so what I've, what I've noticed though and what I do love about it is it reminds me how many different type of people there are in the world. There's so many different types of people, different backgrounds. I just recently did a study um, about like people and religion and I found out that there's 4,300 approximately different religions in the world. That's a lot of religions. Um, and and what, it, what it got me to realize is that people in general are, are spiritual. Right? The majority of the world, right, there, there are spiritual people. And check this out, even non-spiritual people who don't believe in God or any other religion, they're actually believing in something, right? There is a, and it's funny because that the, the atheists, right, and the secularists or whatever you want to call them, they actually made the top five religion list. So congratulations, atheists, you're um, one of the top five religions of the world. I thought that was ironic. But nonetheless, we learned that in Romans, God has put an innate desire within us to know him, to seek after him. So it's, it's not a, a coincidence or a mystery why there's so many religions because people are always trying to find God. And so we've seen that Paul has been explaining for the last three chapters that yes, we were created for God. Yes, we were created by God. And being a spiritual people, instead of worshiping him, we've all turned aside and have worshiped something other than the true God. Right? And it's more than just the the 4,300 different types of religions, right, we know that, that we can worship all kinds of things, right, we've been learning that in the past few weeks, right, we can worship religion, things, money, acceptance, all kinds of stuff. Um, so, some people, uh, chair set up, just kidding, um, some kind of, some people, they worship food, and I see this a lot, you know, we got like the Food Network, and I mean, if you go on Netflix, there's like eight different cooking shows, and I'm not hating on that, that's great, I think we just have a little obsession with food, um, and so you understand, like, when you found out that all, this is the people that when they found out Olive Garden was coming to Hawaii, I mean, they're counting down the days, like, they've been there like 20 times, I'm not mad at that, I get it, right, um, there, there's a rumor that Chick-fil-A is coming to Hawaii. You guys heard about that? We're excited because we know they love Jesus and their food's really good. Um, and so I don't know, if the, the, some, some are saying that, that it's coming to Maui first. I'm, I'm okay with that. Maui no kaoi. But, but this is what's going on is that, man, there's some people that they love food so much. They're planning, like they've already bought tickets. Like, so we, what, what I'm trying to say is we all worship something. We do that with something. And, and what all forms of religion are asking is the same fundamental question. How do we get to God? All religions outside of Christianity have come up with some way to work to get to God or, or to, the, to the divine or some form of transcendence, right, or whatever that is, right? Do these things, practice these steps, do this religion, do enough good, work at your spirituality enough, and then you will get to God or whatever you've put in God's place. Man-made attempts. 
And as hard as people try, none of that actually gets you to God. And so the mic drop, you know, spoil alert ending is that, that because we could never get to God, God came to us. Right, and if you've been paying attention over the past few weeks, we've learned that there's this huge chasm between us and God. He's perfect. We're not. Right, we've all turned and rebelled and we've chose to live for ourselves. So if we've done that, if we've messed up so bad, how can we come to him when we've fallen so far away? How can we be made right with God? Right, and that's really what this sermon's going to be about. Right? How, could, how could he even forgive everything we've done and accept us without tarnishing his character and reputation as good and a righteous judge as he is. Well, if you hang with me today, not only will we see how to be made right with God, but how it's, that's the opposite of what we tend to think, right? And how we'll see the gospel is the proclamation and the power that we need to get there. I believe that today's passage is really the heart of the gospel, the good news. And so we will see how the gospel doesn't only make a way through Jesus, but makes us more like him. So look down, read with me verses 21 to 23. I also have um, the slide up here if you guys didn't bring your Bible. We always encourage you to bring one. If you don't have a Bible, um, come see me or one of the ushers. We can get you a Bible. We do encourage you to read your Bible in this church. Um, so verse 21 to 23, look down or up on the slide. And it says this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning, Lord, and what you have been preparing to do. Lord, what you want to do in our hearts, what you accomplish through your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we pray that today you would do a work in our hearts, that you would speak to us through your word that your spirit would do a work in our hearts so that we wouldn't leave here the same. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified and honored this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so real quick, I'm just going to switch out mics because even though I love um, using my hands to talk, um, I'm being stretched this morning to be one-handed. Hello. Yes, one-handed preacher. Okay, here we go. Beautiful. I'm going to try that every time just because I like having my hands, but here we go. I like it. All right. So we've all heard this passage, right? Uh, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I think the danger about teaching passages that we're really familiar with is we're like, all right, Danny, yeah, we've heard this one. Yeah, we get it, like, yeah, all of sin and fallen, we get it, it's like the Romans road, right? And we can tend to kind of zone out because we've heard these kind of passages so much. But what I, what I don't want us to miss in Scripture right here is that some say that this is actually the turning point in the whole book of Romans, right? This is the turning point that Paul wants us to, to see. And, and some say that it's actually the turning point in history, like the climax of all of history, Paul is condensing into a few verses, it's a big, big moment, okay? It's like the climax of like your favorite TV show, right? I don't know what you guys are watching, but you know it's just like how they keep, they get you like to keep watching, keep watching because they never actually get you what you want and it's going towards this climax and you're like, oh, right? That's what Paul has been doing over the last three chapters, right? And so just pretend, you know, you're watching Netflix or whatever you watch. I mean, I think, uh, did Netflix get canceled, like culture canceled? So maybe, I don't know, I don't know. Anyway, so, so you know, whether Disney Plus, right, whatever you, whatever you got, Marvel and Star Wars, Disney's taking over the world. Um, yeah, but so whatever you got going on, and you see this trailer 
to this new show, and it's just like, it's got your favorite actors, it's got an amazing film score, like, the colors are crazy, like, I want to watch that show, and it's like, oh, it's out, and so you're like, all right, I know what I'm doing this Friday night, right, you're ready, you're set, you're going to watch this show, right, you got your couch, you got your surround sound, you're like OLED TV or whatever you got going on, 4K, I don't know, um, and, and so you're watching, and the first episode's called Creation, right, and then, and then so all of a sudden from nothing comes forth everything, right, everything, and it's good, and it's beautiful, and you're OLED TV, man, you're like, man, look at those colors, man, look at those blacks, you're like, this is great, right, and you're loving it, and, it, and it's getting crazy, and then there's a character, and his name's Adam, and he rolls onto the scene, right, and, and Adam, he's like naming all the animals, like, man, this is so cool, he's naming the animals, like zebra, giraffe, puppy, right, it's getting, it's getting really cool, and you're really, you're invested, and, uh, and then all of a sudden, Adam's lonely, and you're like, oh, man, and you're really resonating because you, sometimes you feel lonely, right? You're like, oh, right, and so then a woman comes out. Her name's Eve, and it's just like this, like, love at first sight, like, slow-mo, like, da na 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 no, right? And they're like, you see Adam and Eve coming in. It's love at first sight, and there's this romance, and it's just like, oh, my gosh, and you're just invested in these characters, and you just want to keep watching, and then, bam, the first episode's over, and you're like, wait, what, right? And then there's, like, that, that little, like, the next episode starts in five, four, three, and you're like, oh, oh, oh what do you do, right? Because you know you got to go to bed because you got work in the morning but then like they give you five seconds to make a good decision that's not happening that's not happening you know you're like yes I'm in right and so you're, you're watching the next episode and it's titled the fall you're like oh man they're gonna fall more in love with each other this is great right and you're all excited um but then you realize it's like episode two from like like Star Wars where it's like Empire Strikes Back like everything goes wrong right like you find out that like Darth Vader is Luke's dad Right, you're like, ah, oh, like, and if you didn't know that, that's on you. Um, and, and so, like, the episode, it opens up, and, like, there's this serpent. His name's Satan. He comes in. He lies to Adam and Eve. They believe the lie. They do some really bad things, and the whole world fractures. Everything that was beautiful in episode one unravels, and everything is broken. The beauty of creation broken. This love relationship broken. This relationship that was once like, oh, I love you, is now like you didn't do the dishes. You know, or like our kids are the way they are because of you, right? And it's just like there's this battle. There's this, the, the, the relationships have been fractured, right? And, and you see this disruption. But at the end of this episode, there's this message that says that one day a Savior is going to come to fix everything. One day a Savior is going to come and he's going to put everything back together. And then you're like, no, I'm definitely not going to bed. You know, and I'm just like, I mean, tomorrow's going to be rough, but I'm in. You know, and you're like, you got five seconds to figure this out. And so you just, you, you pause, grab the popcorn, you're ready to go. Right, the next episode's called Darkness. And it is what it is, right? The rest of this, this whole show is just introducing new characters that just keep messing up, keep failing, keep falling on their face, relationships are getting worse, everything's getting worse, and now you're bummed, you're ready to call it a night, you're kind of depressed, you're like, I don't like this show anymore, that was depressing, but then you see the preview of the next episode, and it's called Redemption, and you're like, yes, and so you've been waiting for this moment, it's finally here, you're calling in sick tomorrow, because you're like, I'm going to watch this show, right, you know what I'm talking about, and, 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 the, and so this is where Paul has us in the narrative of scripture. He's explained all of this in the first three chapters and really in a summary is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In this huge moment where Paul just explained for three chapters that humanity has rebelled because of their ungodliness and unrighteousness, God's wrath is being revealed and he's giving people what they want, right? People have exchanged the truth for a lie They've worshipped the creature rather than the creator, exchanged his glory for the glory of self and other things, and humanity was lost in brokenness, loneliness, unfulfillment, and rebellion and its consequences. 
And the only way back to God was to be perfectly righteous. See, this morning we're going to find out that we need a righteousness not of our own. So, 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 so God, because he, he, he demands that we uphold his law perfectly, to be righteous, to perfectly obey every command of God. Right, the definition of righteousness from Merriam-Webster's definition um, dictionary is free from guilt or sin, um, being morally right or the quality of being upright. And see, and the righteousness needed to get us to God is to be completely free from guilt or sin, to never have faltered in doing good, to never having disobeyed one command of God or doing anything wrong ever. Okay, I don't know about you guys, but I, I don't fit that bill. I don't think anyone here fits that bill. And so what we've talked about is that for the gospel to be good news, it needs to invade bad spaces. Right? And, and so the bad news is this, is that, that many attempts as, as man has made to get to God in their own righteousness have failed. All the attempts have failed. And so the first three chapters of Romans have shown us that the Gentiles, right, without the law of God, they just, they've lived in a life of rebellion and debauchery, right, the Jews, right, God's people who've had the law, who know who God is, know his ways and his will, are hypocritical. And they fall very short of even obeying the very things that they preach. So all have fallen short of God's intended glory for humanity. Because what does that even mean? All have fallen short of the glory of God. Right, it means that, that we've sinned and we've tarnished the image of God that in us. Like the, what, what, what God intended for man, the image of God in man, we've fallen short of that glory. And what the first three chapters of Romans is showing us is that we need a righteousness outside of ourselves. We can't do it. And Paul is saying that that righteousness, the one that we need, the only righteousness good enough to turn sinner into saint, turn rebels into righteous, and to make those who were once enemies of God into his children is here in verse 21. It's the righteousness of God that has been manifested apart from the law, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. See, this is the moment that God is restoring and redeeming and putting right Right, the world and his creation through the righteousness that we can't attain. And he has to give it to us apart from our works. You see, the law of God was never intended to make one righteous. Right? It actually just set the standards of God's righteousness. But, but Israel could never keep it. Right? So like, there's, there's this law. He gives the law through Moses and like, hey, here's what it looks like to live holy. But Israel would never actually be able to meet those expectations. That's why they had the sacrificial system. That's why they had all that stuff because sin needed to be dealt with. There were still consequences for sin because they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. And so because God's people knew that, you know, they would see the sacrifices all the time. And like, man, that's the consequence of my sin. Man, we really fall short. Though they couldn't rely on their own righteousness, they were always looking ahead to the coming Savior whose righteousness would save them. To God's promises that he would ultimately save his people. Right, the law could never save anyone. Right, the sacrificial system was in place so that a holy God could dwell with sinful people because their sin needed to be taken care of for him to be with them. And it says here in verse 20, right before verse 21, right, it says that the law, one of the law's primary purposes was to show us our own sin. One of its primary purposes is to show us our own sin. It's kind of like an x-ray machine, right? When you get, get x-rayed, if you've broken a bone, you know, the x-ray shows you that your bone is broken, but it doesn't have the power to put it back in place. 
Right, and so the word does the same thing, right? It shows us our sin, right, the law. It shows us our sin. It shows us how we can never live up to it and that we need a savior. We need a righteousness, not of our own. And that's why in verse 21 it says this. It says that the law and the prophets bear witness to it, right? So they always knew. God's people always knew. The law and the prophets were like, man, we can't do it. Look at, look at us. We need somebody better than us. And so you look through the track record of those God has chosen. Because they're always looking, okay, could this be the one? Could this be the one to restore things back to the way God intended? And so you, you see Abraham. And you're like, man, Abraham, that's a pretty righteous dude. Like he gets called from his homeland to go and be the father of God's people. Man, that's awesome. Right, but then he's awkwardly playing wife swap with Pharaoh. You're like, oh, this maybe ain't the guy. Like that's not good. Like don't do that, Abraham. Um, and then next you have uh, Moses. You're like, okay, Moses, this guy's awesome, right? He's like God's talking to him through a burning bush. You're like, whoa, he's, God's never done that to me. You know, and he's like, he's part in the sea. You're like, man, this is awesome. And then you go a little further and then you realize he, then he starts relapsing in his anger management program and he starts doing wrong things. He disobeys God. He messes up so bad that he doesn't even make it into the promised land. Okay, Moses isn't the guy. Okay, we get it. Right, and so you move forward and then David. Right. He's like slaying giants. You're like, dude, this is the guy. Like, God's given him his spirit. He's like an epic worship leader, warrior. He's got it all. Like, what else? I mean, he's a king. This is the guy. This got to be the one that's been prophesied about. But then we see David doing weird things on the roof. You're like, David. Right? He's doing the wrong kind of bird watching. You know what I'm saying? And he gets him into big trouble. Right? And then it's his pride that ultimately is his downfall. And so no matter where we look in the Old Testament, we see a people in need of a Savior. They need a righteousness that's not of their own. And what Paul is saying, here he is. His name is Jesus. And it's his righteousness that is being given out to those who put their faith in him. Jesus is the one who perfectly lived up to God's standards. He obeyed the law perfectly. He did everything right. He never sinned. He was perfectly loving God and perfectly loving others his whole entire life. This is his righteousness, and it's being given out to those who put their faith in him. And because there is no distinction among people, all are guilty and all have sinned, we are all in need of this righteousness. So you can either read the whole Old Testament, you can read the first three chapters of Romans, or just this one verse, right? But it's all saying the same thing. We all, like Adam and Eve, have turned from God, turned from our Heavenly Father and rebelled against Him. Where He said, trust me, we're like, oh, we don't want to trust you, we want to trust ourselves. We want to define right and wrong on our own terms. When He says, obey me, we're like, ah, oh, we don't really want to obey you, we want to be the God of our lives. We're going to obey what we want to obey, right? We've all done this, we've all broken His commands and turned from him and this is called sin and because we've all fallen on our faces every single one of us has made mistake after mistake God in his unfathomable not of this world kind of love for us has made a way through Jesus Christ this is the beautiful good news that he has made a way because he knew that we couldn't do it so he did it for us he's like I know your righteousness would never be enough I know you could never be good enough to get back to me so I came to you and I've made a way and he's given us a righteousness apart from the law and that righteousness is in Jesus Christ all right so our second point is this the gospel provides the righteousness of Jesus all right so look down with me or up on the screen if you don't have your Bible it says this verse 23 
For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that's a fun word, by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. All right, justified. All right, we have been justified, right? What is, what's going on here? So the, the, the good news, I guess, the fun thing about preaching about justification uh, in this culture is that we love justice and law. Right, we love it. Like, I mean, and, and how, do I, how do I know this? Because there are literally like 20 different CSIs and like NCISs on TV. Like, it's kind of a crazy amount. Like, you could turn the TV on and at any one given moment, there will be one of these shows probably playing. Right, um, and I was thinking about this, and I was like, "Man, are they gonna understand?" Some people might not understand what I mean by channel, because we don't have a lot of people don't have channels. So the TV app, right? So you go on the CBS or the NBC app, um, and, and and you'll see this, right? And we love justice and law. You know, you like Los Angeles, sweet NCIS LA, got you, right? Oh, you like Miami? You like humidity? Cool, cool, we got you. CSI Miami, right? We got you. you like New York, Atlanta, what do you want? Like we have every form of law show in every place, even in Hawaii. What do we have in Hawaii? Hawaii Five O, right? You're like, oh, you're like, whoa, it's so crazy. There is one in every, yeah, there is. It's crazy. We love this stuff. Um, and then you have the OGs who are just like law and order. Like just boom, just like in your face. Like we just love the law and order guys. Cool, we love you guys. All right. Um, and so all we need is a TV show and a movie about a court case, a judge, and an investigation, and we'll eat it up. Because we are a people ruled by law. We love it. And this is where the term justified comes from. A courtroom. Right, it's a legal term. And here in this passage, it's saying that, that we're justified. So here's a cool thing. I don't have the whole breakdown up here, but you just got to trust me on this. That's uh, from my friend Fulton. In the Greek, okay, uh, justified and righteousness, okay, have the same root word. So they look the same in the Greek. So, so what you could really be saying is they were justified or they were righteousnessed, right? They were made right, right? That's what this is saying. Right, and so, so, so what, the, what the definition of justified really means is to be declared innocent, right? To be made right. The idea of justification is the idea that the gavel is banged down and we have been declared innocent. Now here's the tricky part. How is that possible? How can we be declared innocent? Because we know we're not, right? Like, like it wouldn't take us too long to look back at our week and realize and, and, and find us like yelling profanities at strangers while we're driving because they don't know, other people don't know how to drive. Right? We're like, oh, yeah, okay, it wouldn't take too long, right? Um, maybe you, you're scrolling and, and wouldn't take too long to find us maybe being a little jealous of somebody's new car, new house, fake happiness on social media, right? Talking smack about your boss or the person who sat on your chair at church, you know what I'm saying? Like, we got a signed seating in here, if you didn't know that. And so, like, you know, if somebody takes your seat, you're just like, um, you know, you're just like, you know, having bad thoughts. You might even say it to your spouse. And you're just like, uh, check your heart, right? And so we know that that's happening. It doesn't take too much, right? And so, you know, we all struggle. We look at our lives. How am I declared innocent when I struggle with lustful thoughts? How am I declared innocent when I struggle with bitterness or judgmental uh, attitudes? And I'm watching stuff that I know is not good for my soul. How are we declared innocent when we know we're not? Like, do we get into God's blind spot somehow? Like, like I mean, if the Lord is going to justify us and decree us as innocent, right, and he's, he is the all-knowing everywhere at once God, 
Is he just kind of like busy doing other things and just checking in on Sundays and like, okay, cool, they're, they're raising their hands. Oh, they brought their Bible. Okay, cool, justified, like we're good. No, like there's, there's more, right? It's bigger than this. God's going to have to do something pretty big because when we put our lives up against the law, against God's perfect law, we fall short. And so God's going to have to give us a perfect righteousness, not of our own. And so verse 24, it says, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, we're, we're only able to be justified, declared righteous, if God gives it to us as a gift, right? And some Bibles say freely. Like we're not going to be able to be good enough. We're not going to be able to live in such a way that we are perfect, yet that's what God's expectation is, right? That's like that bad news. But remember, good news invades bad spaces. When we place our faith in Jesus, we are given his righteousness and innocent verdict. This is big stuff. Like I know this is things that we learn about growing up, but like this is massive. Christ comes, God in the flesh, and when you put your faith in him, his perfection is attributed to you. His good deeds attributed to you. His innocence, his righteousness, his perfection, all attributed to you. The wrath because of your rebellion against God is absorbed by Christ on the cross. The resurrection is the objective evidence that the bill has been paid in full. That is justification, that you and I have been justified before God. And the sovereign judge of the universe concerning you and me has banged the gavel and declared us innocent. This is good news. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that Jesus actually became my sin so that I could literally become his righteousness. Right? We call this the great exchange. See, he took my record, died for it, and he offers me his perfect record in return. He took my shameful nakedness to clothe me with his righteousness. And when I receive that grace and repentance in full faith, I get God's acceptance. His full of acceptance is mine. He lived in my place, died in my place, and then offered to me a gift, his righteousness. And here's the thing. God through Christ, doesn't only give us his righteousness. He also takes the wrath of God on my behalf. Okay, this is this, this fun word that's called propitiation. Could you guys say that with me? Propitiation. Oh, good job. See, look at that. I mean, I don't know the last time you said that word. It's one of my favorite P words. I'm just trying to get you guys, you know, have some fun with that propitiation. Just throw that into like a sentence, like at work. Like, that'd be sweet. Let me know about it. I want to see how that goes. Um, verse 25 says, whom God put forth, Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. All right. So what does this big word mean, right? So propitiation is the wrath of God towards our sin being appeased or dissuaded. I know two other kind of big words. By Jesus taking it in our place. All right. So God, so our sin, right, is God's wrath's coming against it. But because Jesus took the wrath in our place, that wrath is taken. It's appeased. It's, it's done. It's, it's, it's quenched in Christ on our behalf. Jesus took the wrath we deserved because of our sin in our place. And we learn that God's wrath is presently coming against us because of ungodliness and unrighteousness, right? God giving people to their own desires. But we also learned from Mike just a few weeks ago in Romans chapter 2 that there is a real future wrath and judgment coming. It's a real thing. Right, Romans 2, 5 says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. 
And what Paul is saying is that Christ took that wrath for you on the cross for anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. Whoever puts their faith in him, Christ took it already on the cross so they don't have to endure it later. Have you done that? Have you done that? Propitiation. It's a big, fun word. It's a powerful meaning. In this text, it also speaks to God passing over former sins in order to show his righteousness at the present time. What does that mean? Simply put, in the past, God did not pour out his full wrath on the men for their sins. He didn't give his whole full wrath to men in their sins in the past. He was patient and merciful. And some might question his righteousness in doing this. Like, how could a righteous and just judge overlook the, the evil in the world? Overlook all that evil in the past. How could he overlook that if he's, if he's righteous and just and just forgive people? That's not like if, if we went to a courtroom and, 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 and then we see there was a, a terrorist, a, a rapist, and a murderer. And, you know, you're like, okay, you're, 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 you're guilty, but you know what? I forgive you. You can go free. Would he be a just judge? Would we be okay with that? Now think about the God of heaven and earth, the judge of all creation who's sustaining good. If he just overlooked that, how can a loving God who loves and forgives also as a just judge uphold justice against the rebellious actions of the people that he's trying to save? How does he do both? And here is the wonder of the cross. That in the very same stroke, it satisfies both the love of God and the justice of God. At the very same moment, it shows us that God is both the judge, right, who cares enough about his world to set standards and hold us accountable to them. But he's also the justifier who has done everything necessary to forgive and restore us. See, on the cross, we see God's greatest demonstration of wrath against sin. And at the same time, we see the greatest demonstration of love towards sinners. This is the beauty of the gospel. God has done everything needed to uphold his justice and his love so we can be saved. So, so because of th this very moment, check this out, because of this, right, at this very moment, we could never question God's love. He has proved himself. He has demonstrated his love for us. So we can never say, how could a God of love fill in the blank? He has proven his justice and he has proven his love. We have no reason to ever doubt his love and good plans for us because he did what only he could do and he made a way for us to be forgiven, saved, and justified. And he sees all of our failed attempts to be good on our own. He sees all of our hidden past. He sees all of our secret sins. Right? He sees all the things that we brought in here this morning, the things that we're wrestling with, that he knew from the foundation of the earth that we were going to wrestle with. And he knew that we weren't going to be able to get to him on our own. So he made a way today. Christian, be encouraged that we have no reason to ever doubt that he is working together all things for our ultimate good and his glory because he's proven himself on the cross. The cross is where gloriously and liberatingly we see that God is both just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Which leads us to our last point. The gospel produces faith in Christ. The gospel produces faith in Christ. So look down with me or up at the slide. Uh, Romans, we're going to be in verse 27 through 31. It says this. Then what becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded? By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. 
Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles as well? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. All right. There's a lot going on there. Let's talk about it. Uh, anybody in here ever rolled jujitsu? Anybody? Just, it's okay. I just want to see some hands. I want to see who we're, what we're working with. Oh, there's a lot of hands out there. I like that. Anybody presently rolling jujitsu right now? Just raise your hand nice and high. All right, sweet. Hojo wants to challenge you after church out on the grass. Perfect. Oh, what? Where you are? There you are. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Sweet. So we love that. All right, cool. So my, um, my two boys... Uh, Jedediah and Zechariah, they, they've been rolling jiu-jitsu for a little bit now, and it's really fun, and it's awesome to watch them. I just started rolling a little bit just recently, uh, very fresh. Um, and the cool thing about uh, having my, my boys rolling jiu-jitsu, cool and scary, is that I now have these, like, two little jiu-jitsu ninjas running around my house, okay? And so that, that can cause some issues for me. Um, I'll be just cruising, you know, just on the couch or on the carpet, and my oldest son, who's getting stronger comes behind me and like puts me in a rear choke. I'm not going to put the, say the whole name. You guys know what choke I'm talking about, but it's church. So he, he puts me in that, the rear choke, right? And I'm just like, Ugh, like, and I'm like, tap, you know, and it's just like, all right, all right, you got me. <laughs> you got me. And I'll like, never let that happen again. And, um, you know, I'll be cruising and my arm will be just somewhere. It'll be somewhere. And my oldest will just totally take advantage. Like, boom, arm bar, like, Ugh, you know, and it's just like, dude, these guys are, he's a little uh, ferocious. I hate to be tickled. I hate it. And he knows that. And so he'll come and he'll come in like trying to tickle me. I'm like, okay, my turn. Like, ha, 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 tap. And then like, you know, making, tapping out my seven-year-old, feeling like a big man. It's great. Um, you know, and so, and he, he likes it though. So he's like, he keeps on coming at me, trying to tickle me. I'm like, all right, buddy. Just tapping him out left and right. I'm like, and he's my little, he's my little guy that I get to, to, to work with. And I'm getting better because of him. Um, so thank you, Jedediah. Um, but I find, it, I find it funny because when we're at the gym, uh, when they're actually rolling in their class, I'm always there, and I get to stand on the side, and, and their class is over here. And it never fails that both my boys, they're always looking over at me during class. They're always looking over at me. And part of me likes this because I can kind of help them, like, when they're not getting a move. Uh, and so, like, I'll be, like, you know, doing, like, daddy sign language, like, you know, like, you know, just do that, you know. And, like, the other parents are like, what's going on? Like, busting out Michael Jackson, which I could, but I'm not. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just helping them out. And, and, and what I've been noticing more and more is that every time they look over at me, every time they look over at me when, when, the, when they finish something, they're, asked, they're saying, God, God uh, uh, daddy, Daddy, do you, do you approve of me? Right, they look, they're looking over at me. They're like, Daddy, are, are you proud of me? Am I, am I doing a good job, Dad? And they're just waiting for me. I always give them a thumbs up. They're just waiting for me to give them the thumbs up. And, and I, and I realize at that, at that moment that I have so much power. Dads, if you know this, we have so much power to either build up or crush our kids Right, based on this approval. And they're always looking over at me. And I'm like, oh, man, this, this weight, they just want my approval. And, of course, I approve of them. And I love them, but, but we can get caught there. And it reminds me of this passage so much because I feel so many of us, we, we, we have, our relationship with God is, is like that. We, we look at God and we're like, like, look at what we're doing, God. Like, is this, is this good enough? Like, like, do you approve of me? Like, are you proud of me? Is this enough? Do you accept me? Do you love me? And, and we, we do this with our relationship with God. And, and, and the answer is an overwhelmingly yes. Like he sees you and he loves you and he approves of you. But not because of what you're doing, but because of what Jesus has done for you. 
See, God wants to give us his love and approval so much that even knowing that we're just a bunch of Kolohe kids and knuckleheads, that, that the only way for us to gain his approval was through Jesus. And because Jesus has done it all, like this passage is saying, it removes our boasting completely. Like we can't be like, oh man, look at me, like look at all the things that I'm doing, look at all like the, the ministries I'm doing, look at me, you know, like dusting off my holy shoes, you know what I'm saying, you got your like your memory back. Like we, there's, there's no swagger in the kingdom of God, like there's no boasting, right? There's no like look at what I've done because it's all Jesus. It takes away our boasting. That's what Paul is saying here, it's not by a law of works Right, not by what we do or how well we accomplish obeying the law that we've become children of God and accepted, but because everything Jesus has done for us and us putting our faith in him. You see, earlier I said that we're in right standing before God because he's given it to us as a gift. It's a gift. Like we didn't earn it on our own. Like we have to receive it. But here's the thing. We're not really good at receiving have you noticed that? Like in our culture, we're not really good at receiving. Like, like, like we live in a culture that says, take care of yourselves. So, so, we, so we do that. We just take, no, we're good. We don't need any help. Like, you know, yeah, like, you know, we're really sick and our whole house is like struggling and, you know, it's burning down. But no, no, we're, we're good. We got it. Like it's, like, it's like it's this crazy thing in our culture that we, we, we're not really good at, at receiving or asking for help. Like we, we, we have this mentality that we have to earn everything that we get and everything that we are. We have to earn it. And this shows up in our relationships, right? All of our relationships are based off of earning, whether you like it or not. Um, I remember when I was in fourth grade, I was like, I was a little baller, right? I mean, it stopped in fourth grade. But I was a little, like, basketball player. And I, and I actually earned friends based on my ability to shoot some b-ball outside of the school, right? All of our relationships are based off of earning, right? And so if you got... Um, if you ever forget an anniversary, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you've ever forgotten an anniversary, woo, like it's like, you know, there's, they're getting new earrings, like that lady's getting new earrings, a day at the spa, like a month of dishes. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like if you forget, like you better earn my love, son. You know, like do something, right? And um, uh, we don't like to admit it, but we make people earn our love. And sometimes it's the people that are closest to us. When your spouse uh, hurts you, hurts your feelings, right, you, you make them earn their way back into your good graces. Right, if your friend lets you down, you judge them and you look at them to earn their way back in the way that you think about them. Like you flaked on me. You went back on your word. So I value you and our friendship a little less now. But you can earn your way back in the way that I think about you. You could just, just, just don't do it again. Just be perfect. Never fail. And we could, we'll be good again, right? Like we, we have this mentality we make people earn our forgiveness. Right? We might say the words, I forgive you, but we still treat them like garbage. Like nothing has actually been forgiven. Could you imagine if that's how God forgave us? And praise God it's not. And, and so we see this and we, and we struggle with it since we're kids. Since, since the times that we were, we were young. Because a lot of kids growing up, they feel they have to earn their parents' approval by their performance. By how they perform at school, at home, and sports. And they constantly feel like if, if they do good, then the parents will approve of them. But if they do bad, uh, that approval kind of is taken away. Right? And, 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 and this kills me because I know as a dad that I, I struggle with this. I have high, expe I have high expectations of my kids. Like I can. I like guess it's a trap 
Because I, I, want, I want what's best for them. I want them to succeed. I want them to be, you know, to excel in what they're doing. But the, but the trap there is treating them differently when they don't perform in a certain environment. So you see that we struggle with this mentality of earning from a young age. And so we struggle with the feeling to need to earn acceptance and earn approval, and we grow up with it. And here's where it gets dangerous, when we allow this kind of thinking to flow over into our relationship with God, into our faith, into our Christianity, into how we relate with Jesus. See, let's try this. How do you guys feel that God thinks about you right now? If you were to ask yourself, like, how does God feel about you right now? How do you determine that? Do you base your answer on what kind of week you've had? How many times you've read the Bible? If you've been praying? If you've been sharing your faith? Whether you've been a good spouse or parent? Right? How many times you did or did not give into that same sin that you've been struggling with? How well you did, did it not swearing at work? Or at your kids, wherever you're at. I know there was a time that if I had a good week, man, my Bible reading was on, my, you know, my prayer was on my, it was on my A game. I'm like, I got this. I've been, I've been jamming, walking in the presence of the Lord, and I think I'm doing great. I felt close to God. I felt like God was like, my, 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 look at Danny reading his Bible. Oh, memorizing scripture. Well, I'm just going to give him a double dose of my presence. Like I felt like if I did a good job, God was more pleased with me and loved me more. If I had an awesome week, I loved being in God's presence. And I'm sure God was pretty stoked about having me there too, right? And so uh, this, is, this is a bad mentality because the opposite was true. If I hadn't done a good job at being a real Christian, I felt pretty distant from God. If I hadn't been reading my Bible consistently, if I'd fallen into some temptations, if I'd been a jerk to my wife, dodged some pretty easy opportunities to share Christ, was selfish with my time, well, on those weeks, I felt like God wanted nothing to do with me. I felt like I could feel his displeasure and his lack of approval. And that's because at that moment, I really didn't understand the gospel, or at least I had forgotten it. See, this is what we call works righteousness, right? The idea that what we do determines how God feels about us. We fall into this trap of thinking that God's love and approval of us is dependent on our performance. Right? This is the unhealthy thinking, works, righteousness. And what happens when we live like this is we struggle hard with condemnation because we forget our approval and our acceptance from God has already been secured for us in Jesus. Like everything we just talked about, we forget we've been given his righteousness. See, when we're given Jesus' righteousness, when we're literally clothed in it, that means that God could not love me any more than he does right now because God cannot love and accept Christ any more than he does. And God sees me in Christ. He now sees me according to how Christ lived, not on the basis of what kind of week I've had. See, now that because we're in Christ, there's nothing we can do that would make God love us more and nothing we have done that makes God love us less. And just let that sink in for a moment. That right now, if you are in Christ, when God looks at you, regardless of your situation, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And looking down at our passage, we see that Paul is trying to get this message across to two types of people, Jews and Gentiles. Okay? It says in verse 29, since it says that God is the God of the Jews, is God the God of the Jews only? No, he is not. He is the God of the Gentiles, right? He is, he is, he is God of both types of people. And so we have the Jew, right? The Jew represents the law keeper, right? The Pharisee, 
right? The one who, who does all the right things, who, does, who, who checks off their, their box. Like, I've done all the righteous things today, all the, all the Christian things, right? Like, they boast in how many ministries they're a part of, how many Bible reading plans they've done, right? How many activities they're going to, right? And they're doing it just to, to, so they can, you know, God, look at what I'm doing. Like, do you approve of me? Like, do you accept me? Are you proud of me? Right, and they could be doing all this religious activity. And yet, like the Pharisees, their hearts could actually be far from God. Because they're, 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 they're trying to work for him from the wrong place. They desperately try and gain not only the approval from God, but from other Christians by the amount of things that they do. Trying to, maybe subconsciously, now earn God's favor by having good week after good week. If I just do enough good, if I can just maintain my right status before God, if I could just keep my conscience clear, because the moment that I slip and fall and mess up and, and seem unsuccessful in any area of my Christian walk, it'll ruin me. See, the Jew thinks that because I do A, B, and C in my Christian walk, I'm good. And the more that I do, the better I am. See, the Gentiles on the other side are the ones who recognize, man, I'm, I'm actually pretty far from God. I'm pretty far from God. They realize that they have a rough past. I've been living a, a lifestyle that maybe, I know that God doesn't really approve. Right, that they're coming out of struggles or they presently have these struggles. And man, there's no way that God could love me. Right, it seems like there's so much I have to learn about faith and about God. And, and how could God truly accept me? If God only really knew about what I was struggling with, the things that I'm, I'm doing or my past. And we see with, with the Jews, we'll call them the Pharisee, they can struggle with pride and spiritual self-deception, right? But then they'll go into despair the moment that their performance falters and their insecurities surface. And the Gentile, right, I think it's like it's a, it's a struggling believer or a new believer, right, somebody who feels far from God, right, or, or they just they don't feel good enough. Right, they struggle with condemnation, struggle with guilt, not feeling like they're ever going to measure up to God, not ever going to do what he, that, that he, he calls them to do. And so what happens is because they feel so far and that they can't do it, they end up turning away from God. Because of their past and the things they struggle with, they actually just continue to run from him. And maybe they might come back and tiptoe back, but it's like this kind of back and forth. But like don't get too close because, man, if God only knew who I am. And here is where the gospel comes in and addresses both of these issues here. That it doesn't matter how many things you do or how good you are, your past or anything, because it's not about your performance, but what about Jesus has done for you. Where every other religion says do, Christianity says done. When Jesus was on the cross and he says, it is finished, the price has been paid and a way to God has been secured to be loved and accepted. Somewhere there's this false claim about Christianity that, is, that Christianity is about being a good person, right? Or being good enough to be accepted by God or good enough to get to heaven. But it's literally the opposite of the Christian message. The message is that we'll never be good enough. So Jesus was good for us. He died for our sins so that we can be restored to God. Like it's literally the opposite. There's no amount of good, no amount of good work, no amount of righteous living that can get us to God. God came to us. God's not looking up from heaven and taking attendance on Sundays and how good you're doing in your Bible reading plan and if you've done this or done that. He knows that we're going to struggle. He knows that we're going to fall on our faces. He knows that we're not perfect and he still came for us. This is why Jesus came. This is why he died on the cross. We needed our sins taken care of. We couldn't do it. Jesus has done it. And that's why we need to be justified freely as a gift. We need to receive it because we can't earn it because you don't earn a gift. 
He's saying it's not a law of works. It's not about how many good things you accomplish or how much you do. It's not if, even if you've been far away from God or struggling and you don't think you're good enough. See, God sees both these types of people and said, I love you and I've made a way through the cross for you to receive love and acceptance. And that today there is no distinction. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and God offers forgiveness to all types of people. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest because I have done the work. He's done it. He offers fresh forgiveness and abundant life. So no matter where we are, we're not letting our pride or our despair hold us back from coming to him. Or we come to him with surrendered arms, open wide, saying, Lord, I'm yours. I trust you. I want to be made right with you. I want forgiveness. I want to know your will for my life. I want to grow. I want to follow you. And if I'm not careful, I will be convinced that God wants some future version of me. Right? Like, like he's, he'll finally love me when I work this thing out. He'll finally accept me when I get this thing down. He'll finally accept me when I finally overcome this. But according to our sacred scripture, Christ came to seek and save the lost, the sick, the sinners, those who don't have it all together. Guess what? That's all of us. And the amazing thing is that, that all of this is received by faith. By faith. Church, if you get anything this morning, you need to recognize that our justification and being made right with God comes through faith. And faith alone, not of our own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. We are saved by faith alone. But you see, this faith doesn't just justify us. It doesn't just save us, but it changes us. See, the gift of faith has the power to transform See, when we put our faith in Christ, he puts his spirit in us. And as we look to the gospel, this faith changes us from the inside out. Some people say that we need a change, that we need to clean up our act before we come to Jesus. But that's impossible. We come to Jesus, he cleans up our act. He does the work of changing in us. His spirit does that work inside of our lives. See, when we come to him, he starts doing that work. And God reorients our hearts around the things that his heart is for. See, when we come to him, he starts doing that. It moves us to want us to obey to God. It moves us to desire what he desires. Our old sins, they become distasteful. We're like, we don't want to do that anymore. That's not who we are. Or the Spirit helps us to grow and, and, and to become more like Jesus. Our lives change over time. You see, there's this directional shift. This is something I've been trying to explain to some of my disciples. It's like when you're a Christian... Your, your, your life literally turns a different direction. It's, it's the word repentance. See, when you're not saved, when you, when, you, when you sin, you keep falling and you keep just digging yourself deeper in this hole and, and you're getting more in this brokenness and all this stuff. But when you're saved, when you fall, when you sin, you're still going the direction of Christ. You're still following Jesus. You're still going towards his kingdom and his glory. So even when you fall, when you get back up, you're going in this direction. You've changed directions. And Christ's righteousness covers that journey. In verse 31 it says, Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no mean. On the contrary, we uphold the law. When we receive Jesus' righteousness, his righteousness then works in us and through us and our lives begin to change, right? As we read his word and apply it, as we trust him and obey him, we follow Jesus' pattern and how he loves and forgives and serves those around him, right? We now want to obey his word because of what he's done, right? We don't desire to glorify ourselves anymore but give him glory and we trust him. 
We trust him in light of everything that he's done for us. We trust him. So when he says, hey, you know that addiction you've been struggling with? Yeah, surrender that. Let that go. Trust me. You know that grudge you've been holding on to that you feel that if you, if you, don't, if you don't, you know, keep holding that grudge, that person will never learn that lesson? Yeah, surrender that. Forgive them. Trust me. The relationship you know that isn't honoring to the Lord, that thing you run to when no one else is around, the idolatry of money and security and accumulation of things, these things that in the end will not satisfy. See, there's these things in our lives that we have a hard time letting go of, areas in our lives that we know God is calling us to surrender. And today my hope is that when we look into the gospel and we look to the cross of Christ and we look to see what he's done for us, we'll trust him. And when he says turn from those things, we will gladly do it because we trust him. You see, it's from the acceptance found in the gospel that produces obedience that's powered by desire instead of heartless duty. It's in this moment when we see what he's done, what to get us to understand who he is and how much he loves us and approves of us that pushes us in the direction of obedience. See, the gospel turns religion upside down. We don't live to gain acceptance. We live from it. And so today Jesus is saying, stop striving, stop earning, stop trying to work from the wrong place. You want to strive in the power of the Holy Spirit and see God's God's kingdom come into every area of your life? Praise Jesus. But don't strive in order to maintain some level of righteousness so that God will accept you. Rest in his finished and accomplished work of Jesus. Be set free this morning that it is not on you anymore, but it is on Jesus. And he has accomplished it. He has finished it. And you are free. And in that freedom... Live for Jesus. Think of what Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery. Right? This woman got caught in adultery. She's dragged in. She's thrown on the ground. Right? Jesus confronts her accusers. They all flee. And Jesus asks her, hey, where are your accusers? Where are those who condemn you? And Jesus tells her, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. And what's important here is to see the order in which Jesus speaks with her. He says, first, neither do I condemn you. Then go and sin no more. See, we, we, we almost try to always reverse those. Like if you can figure out how to stop sinning, right, then God will accept you. But see, God motivates us from acceptance. God's approval is the power that frees us from sin. See, this is the gospel truth that we need to get, that I'm accepted by not because of what I do, but because of what Christ has done for me. The final verdict of God's judgment for anyone who puts their faith in Jesus is not guilty, right? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us? As we set out to, 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 to strive and follow Jesus, let us not do it in a, in a way that's trying to earn God's acceptance from a place that we've already been accepted. Or we're all in progress. Daily, slowly, Jesus is making us more like him as we surrender to him, trust him, obey him, look to Christ as our righteousness. If we could just get this into our heads that it's not because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ has done and who he declares us to be. We have not earned our position in God's kingdom. We have not earned our position in God's family. He loved us. He chose us. He remade us. He renamed us. And he's given us purpose in him. And in the midst of our stumbling forward and our trudging through the mud of life, swimming through the deep waters of whatever season you're in, forging through the 
fiery troubles that life will bring us. God is making us more like Christ and he's accomplishing his will in our life. He is not done with you. He has not forgotten you. He is at work right now and we need to pray, God, give us eyes to see what you're doing in our lives. Give us eyes to see where we have strayed from your purposes in our lives and show us where we have tried to work our way into your grace instead of rest in it. God, would you give us the ability to trust you and obey you because of what you've done for us. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. I want to end today with this gospel prayer. And I want to encourage you guys, we're going to be sending this out in the e-letter. Uh, for the next 30 days to, to pray this prayer. And, and this is it. It says this. In Christ, there is nothing I can do that would make you love me more and nothing I have done that makes you love me less. Your presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy. As you have been to me, so I will be to others. As I pray, I'll measure your compassion by the cross and your power by the resurrection.